Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Hello, this is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. No, really, thank you for listening. It's a strange thing to put something out into the world in which I express my thinking today, but that will endure well into the future. I have no doubt that future me will tune into this podcast and be a bit or a lot embarrassed by the things that present me says and thinks. I guess that's inevitable as I learn and grow and change, hopefully into a wiser, more conscientious person. And so it is with a lot of humility and gratitude and joy that I get to put these conversations out into the world. So thank you for being along for that ride. I'll at least try to take the scenic route. Today's guest is Jack Sporer of Fresco Wine and Magnolia Wine Services. This is a great episode for a beginning winemaker thinking of starting their own brand and considering how to make that dream a reality because Jack is the owner of a custom crush winery facility. Unless you are independently wealthy or inherited a vineyard, you are likely going to start your winery in something like that, a a sort of co-op or shared winery space. And since that's how I make our wine for my brand Centralis, whose wines, by the way, are available for sale at centraliswine.com, the purchase of which supports this wonderful podcast. And since Jack owns one of these facilities, we dig into the pros and cons, the whys and the hows, and the hard questions you need to ask before choosing a facility and what goes into that choice. No, you don't want to start making wine at the nearest crush pad unless it also stands up to some thorough evaluation. Jack's custom crush facility in Sonoma, Magnolia, is also the home of his winery, Fresco, which he originally started as Fresh Wine Company in an attempt to cause us to think about wine the way that we think about produce as a product that is grown. Think of that. Jack is deeply involved in regenerative agriculture through both Fresco and Magnolia, and he makes an incredibly important point about it. Basically, true regenerative agriculture implies working with degraded or poorly managed land, not pristine organically farmed vineyards. And that means that regenerative agriculture is about building bridges between farmers and winemakers with different and even opposing philosophies. I love that Jack embodies true regenerative agriculture with both Fresco and Magnolia, and I think he does that with very smart, empathetic, and trust-building interactions that set an example, an amazing example, that we can all learn from. Enjoy. Jack, welcome. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Hey, well, happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Also, a very happy Valentine's <laughs> Day. Um, where are you right now? Right now, I'm in my office in Sonoma, okay. um, Sonoma Valley, just south of the town of Sonoma on A Street. It's my uh, the winery I run called Magnolia Wine Services, custom yeah, crush facility. Yeah, you're a pretty busy guy because you not only have a winery, but you you run a you run multiple other people's winery <laughs> in a sense yeah um, well you can kind of think of um my personal wine brand fresco sort of nestled in like a like a russian doll within the umbrella of magnolia <laughs> um, i like that yeah and so there's several other wine brands that all make wine here and someone's got to tell people you know when to get their glass delivered so we can get the bottling truck in so right. we, and then you know make sure we have the filtered wine that goes before the unfiltered wine and 
um, you know, that kind of stuff so that uh, everything gets done to a T. And so that's me. Right. And what came first, Fresco or Magnolia Wine Services? So I started working at this winery uh, before it was Magnolia. Uh, and at that point, I started Fresco. So, But that was really just about eight months um, of overlap. So Fresco is a little older, but they're about the same okay. age. Well, so this sounds interesting. So it sounds like you you started as an employee of the place that you now run. That's exactly right. Um, okay. My, what's your what's your yeah? Go ahead. My uncle uh, was a client, a longtime client at this custom crush facility, um, and he was pretty entrenched here. One of the bigger, uh, you know, accounted for much of the volume. Yeah, and some he, people would probably know his, yeah. his vineyard. Old but. Hill Ranch is the vineyard. Um, Buckland is his wine brand. He's Will Buckland. He's a very, uh, you know, I call him an OG farmer. He's He's been around in the industry for 40 or so years. Uh, and the vineyard predates him by about 100 years. So Right. It's one of the legacy vineyards, one of the well-known legacy dry farmed, like, yeah, it's a, it, one of the, it's planted with what, some 30 some different varieties and. You got it. All different, you know, like the all the sort of. Back when they would just do a whole array of things and then do one pick. Exactly right. Like, and so we still do it that way. Um, yeah. For the most part, all the old vines get picked together, uh, fermented together as a field blend. And they make one wine, uh, which calls the Ancient. Um, mm. And it's, you know, it's delicious. It's really age-worthy. Zin, and it's Zinfandel based, but there's Petit Syrah, there's Alicante Boucher, and then, like you said, about 30 other varieties and you know, pretty small concentrations uh, mixed in. Some, some whites and reds. Yep, right? exactly right. Or whites and blacks, I guess. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's him, and he. So he was a longtime client of of the 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 custom crush, and and the guy who was running it, um, you know, was ready to put it up for sale. So uh, okay. he wanted to get out of having clients, and uh, Will didn't want to move, and I wanted to sort of take the next step in my winemaking career. So. Um, uh, you know, it was a pretty good, uh, opportunity to have a fully, fl- fully operational winery, um, you know, take control of that. So we, we purchased all the equipment, took over the lease that was early 2020. Um, and then, uh, the pandemic hit. So it was, you know, a pretty shocking time to be making that kind of expenditure, <laughs> but, um, uh, <laughs> you know, the nice thing about wine, or I, I don't know if it's nice or not, but it, it, I think it moves on kind of a slower cycle. So yeah, well, we definitely have yeah. you know felt the impact, at least in winemaking. It's it's the the um, the impact has been more spread out. We've been able to pivot a little more quickly. Yeah, I think there's pros and cons to that slower pace. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, one of the major cons is the delayed. Uh, return on investment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a capital-intensive <laughs> industry. Sure. Um, well, let's let's dig into Fresco a little bit. Which I think you started as Fresh Wine Company, and you you've sort of abbreviated it, or was it always a Fresco in your mind? Well, and... you know what I really when I started the brand, what I really wanted was for people to think about their wine the way they think about their produce. So you know, you might have someone mm. who. Uh, goes to the farmer's market for their peaches and their lettuce, but they buy wine from the supermarket. And, um, you know, it's like, I understand that. um, But my hope is to get people over the mental hump and just think about wine as, you know, a product that is grown just like many other products that they consume, uh, most other products they consume. So 
fresh was the brand was the idea and then fresh was taken you know like most great ideas someone i had it before me um right. so i was trying to figure out how to make it um more unique and then uh so fresh.co sort of an abbreviation for the fresh wine company but it all became complicated so what we're going with now is fresco Fresco. <laughs> i love it so what talk about what you do with fresco what are, what are the wines that you make so is, yeah is a... so i make natural wine um as i define it some wines being zero zero no ads or uh takeaways um some wines having a little bit of sulfur added at bottling and occasionally um a little bit of acidulation and watering back uh if i miss a pick but um yeah the grapes all come from sonoma valley come from sonoma valley and they're all uh, farmed regeneratively, um, which is kind of a broad definition, but in general, it means getting people uh, to stop spraying herbicide um, at the very bare minimum, and then working towards reduced to uh, no tillage, reduced to no irrigation, um, and also often bringing animals into the vineyard. Nice. So you're, uh, and by that you mean domesticated animals, animals. Use yeah. For... Uh, yeah. You know, that's, that's a big part of it. I think we could have a whole other conversation about fences and uh, wild <laughs> animals, but um, I mean, but what I was referencing was, yeah, it was sheep in the vineyard. Yeah. Got it. Um, uh, how many, how many uh, vineyards are you working with? Right now I'm working with three growers who have uh, maybe six vineyards between them. Oh, nice. Uh, Wait, so what do you, what are you making? What's what kind of? So uh, I make sort of more um, normal varieties, and and I can tell you why I do that. But the uh, the the big uh, bottling I just did was for the orange Sauvignon Blanc. So a little skin contact on my uh, on Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, I make a Chardonnay, and then sort of my flagship, I would say, the one I started with year one and made every year is the Primitivo, which I do a rosé mm-hmm. and a red, and uh, and sometimes a, a pet nat from it as well. So um, the Primitivo being this vineyard that is own rooted um, and dry farmed, which I really, uh, which is so it's and it's uh, farmed without sprays of any kind. So that's kind of a, you know, just a really, uh, for, it's a nice a benchmark for other growers who are considering changing their practices to know that like you know you can get away with in this region you can get with get away with a lot less. Yeah, I was, I was surprised. I was reading on your website about that, and I was like, "Is that every year? Is that? I mean, do they sort of play it by ear and see what the conditions are?" You know, like- uh, so the the farmer is this um, kind of interesting guy named Ross Kennard. Ross has uh, oh. learned a lot from his dad, and his dad grew for the most part vegetables for Chez Panisse for a long, long okay. time, and he's since passed that business down to his son. So Ross grows the vegetables. And he grows, and then he uh, sort of as a side hustle has this vineyard that he leases. Um, and all that uh, backstory is to say that, you know, Bob has got a lot gone without spraying grapes, you know, f- a lot. Um, and a lot of that maybe has to do with own rooted, right? Uh, which he's worked with a fair amount. I think it just um, has less vigor. Um, mm. And so this vineyard being an ins- uh, being an own rooted site, um, and you know maybe there's something unique about the site. I I I've yet to see to understand exactly why it doesn't get mildew. Except that my my understanding is that maybe sprayers or farmers spray because they don't want to get mildew uh, before they know for sure if they're going to get it. Or yeah. So and I was talking to Ross about this this weekend um, because you know it's just, it's hard to kind of intimate to other people why it works, how it works, especially people who have been spraying for generations. 
Um, and you know, there it's not like there is no mildew in that vineyard. There's small sites, small. Uh, there's a couple rows on one end, and then right in the middle in another end. So what he's kind of considering this year is taking out the vines that do get it regularly. That's like two rows that are right under a tree. They're real shaded. Uh, and then may you know, and then monitoring the other section that gets it and spot treating that with a backpack sprayer, uh, if necessary. Yeah. Um, so I would just my my thought was that what about that whole spray no spray? Is it possible? Um, is that just I think people are to spray to protect you know to cover their ass, which I think is totally reasonable, especially if you're running a bigger vineyard. But um, yeah. with Ross, he's he's able to to shoulder the risk. And it's worth it, you know, because it saves, you know, four or five tractor passes a year uh, or more, depending where you're at. Um, And so that versus the small crop loss that he has to, you know, sacrifice every year is is worth it. Well, I mean, with organic spraying, if you if you get mildew, it's too late. I mean, everything in organic is preventative. Yeah, that's part of it as well. Like if you're yeah, if you're willing to spray something systemic you know, uh, you know, a fungicide rather than a, you know, a prophylactic, then great. You could wait until you see a problem and then go out and spray it. But if you are being preventative, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's that gamble. Like if you don't spray it and then something happens, well, too bad. Like you missed the opportunity. You you can only prevent. So I think that's in organic, the, the risk. So I, you know, I guess it depends on what you're spraying. And I will say, Uh, you know, year one that for me, that's 19. Um, we didn't, um, we didn't spray obviously and, uh, we didn't get mildew, but there was some botrytis. So in that case I went through, actually I I had had the time at that point. So I went through myself and cluster and dropped clusters that were moldy, uh, that I had had botrytis. So there, there are some pest pressers there. It's just, it's not the mildew that everyone sort of assumes you're going to get every year. That hasn't really shown to be the, the issue that, that everyone worries about. Yeah. Yeah, no, it probably is. Uh, I mean, and we probably do have a lower tolerance than we need to have for, you know, I mean, we, yeah. we, we could have a higher tolerance probably for, for mildews and things like that as well, too. It's like, and there's a like re- you said, there's, there's a very real chance that one year, you know, Ross and I get completely shafted by this. Um, <laughs> so, you know, right. it's, it's playing, it's, you know, you're kind of playing on the edge a little bit. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's interesting, though. I, I that was, I mean, I when I saw that, I was like, I got to ask about that. That sounds really interesting. I mean, without, I mean, especially in vinifera, like if it was, you know, if it was native, right. if it was native vines, then I think, you know, I'd be, I wouldn't be that surprised. Um, but yeah, and uh, you know, my other growers, they are, they are doing uh, organic sprays, mostly sulfur, and they're, you know, on the sort of in- interval of like twenty days or so. That's that's more than you would generally get in um, sort of textbook agriculture viticulture uh uh-huh. it's more like 10 to 14 for for sulfur but if you if you're in there you know if you're attentive there it's you know the option is there for yeah um for some spraying but less so you know instead of doing right you know instead of doing four five six seven spray passes that's like three or four um, right okay i gotcha yeah that, that all sounds good so what but what got you started in this kind of farming you know promoting this kind of farming and making wine this way like why why is that the way you know you went yeah so i worked you know maybe eight eight or nine harvests um several different countries mostly conventional wine um 
but I had grown up, you know, with a, so my, my grandmother had an organic farm, produce farm here in the Valley. Um, and so I was, you know, always figured that organic was just kind of the, my baseline of how, how I'd want to do it. Um, but then I went to, uh, I wanted to sort of elevate my career and I went to study at the Santa Rosa Junior College, um, which I, uh, I learned a lot uh, there, a lot of hands-on knowledge, and a lot of it was sustainable, sustainable agriculture uh, through that lens. So I guess I like to joke that that's where I got radicalized um, <laughs> because I, you know, that's where I realized, you know, it sort of opened my eye to like, wow, all these vineyards that I've been driving around that I've been enjoying the wine from and they're, they're, they're under vine is so clear and I, you know, and clean and the whole vi- vineyard <laughs> is so uh, well manicured. And I never really stopped to think about how they got it that way. And, and it turns <laughs> out that, you know, it's by spraying a lot of, a lot of herbicide that yeah. they get those vineyards to be uh, so clean. And yeah. then, you know, then I took a soil science class, which sort of alerted me to the f- idea that you can really have, a positive impact on um, carbon emissions, or you, I guess you'd call it a negative impact. You'd, <laughs> right. I'm confusing myself. You can store carbon in the <laughs> a soil. beneficial uh, impact. If you farm uh, uh, more regeneratively. So that is, you know, right. I, there's so many industries out there where you know, you're emissive, sort of by definition, transportation, you know, producing energy, all that. But with agriculture, there's a, there's a window for sequestering carbon. You can actually right. you can actually be a carbon sink, or at least right. neutral is probably more uh, achievable. But that was where you know the light bulb clicked. It's like, geez, we're we're making you know farming all these all these vineyards in Sonoma Valley, and there's a lot of them are farmed with with Roundup or or equivalents, and it's just um, it's just a damn shame that you can't we can't do more to enhance our environment, yeah. improve our environment. So that you know, I guess learning getting my having the education. Uh, helped, and then you know, I sort of around the same time, I started lear- uh, drinking natural wine. I went and spent a couple days up at the Katuri Winery, um, and it seemed to me that you know, because natural wine and organics are inherently linked, um, that it's just a really good way of telling the story of regenerative viticulture is through natural wine. Why? Why do you say that? So it's easy for me to uh, have this wine and say this is literally just grape juice from organic grapes. And I think that's a pretty powerful story. Whereas, you know, if you're making wine in a more conventional way, you have to, you know, it's not, even if you're using organic grapes, it's just not as easy to say. Um, It's not as easy. I just feel like it's harder to communicate because they're not inherently linked. And you could say, well, this one brand is organic, whereas the rest of them aren't, Um, you know, with natural wine, because I wouldn't consider it natural wine if it didn't come from an organic source, uh, organic practicing source, then, it's harder to get that point across. Does that does yeah. that make sense, Adam? I, I, am I am I way off base there? Yeah, no, no. I, I I just would love. Yeah, I'm just trying to draw you out, and I love. Yeah, I like hearing it in your words. Um, I hear right, yeah, I think I you're. I I do agree. I I would say very much, and yeah, I think it's especially when you go beyond organic, when you're not just stepping away from conventional and replacing conventional inputs with organic inputs you right. know what i mean like if you are actually trying to farm in a way that's in a self-contained way you know that's like a, a closed loop and you know like where you're building an ecosystem reflecting that it like it just becomes a weird thing to think about and then we're going to you know manipulate 
the grapes heavily once they come into the winery. It's like, well, wait, why did we do all that work right. to then, you know, alter it drastically um, or even just follow a recipe, even if it's not like drastic alteration. It's like if you're, you know, if you're reading nature and you're working with nature as part of nature, you, you want to continue that process, you know, like the wine becomes just the, that final uh, expression of all of the work that you've done. And yeah, I, I think, I think the way exactly. you said it is And so clear. with Fresco, you know, I, I wanted to acknowledge that for farmers, it's not, not an easy transition. If you're on the cusp, you want to go, you know, maybe you want to stop spraying herbicide, but you're like, not sure it's gonna, you're going to get a return because you have your economic model. You know how much you make versus how much you spend. And all of a sudden you want to change things. There's a lot of risk there. So mm-hmm. my hope or my uh, my practice with Fresco is to guarantee us a, a higher price um, for people than they have been getting for their strip sprayed fruit. So you know you come you know we we meet we I, I like you know the site and you, know, we, you seem like you're really engaged in making that transition. Then you know I will guarantee you know um, a couple hundred dollars more per ton than you've been than you've been receiving in acknowledgement of the fact that you're onboarding some risk to make this transition. So you, you told me you actually gave me a good example of that one. That was that actually happened with which vineyard was it? I, it was I, the I Fire Fuego, the Sauvignon Blanc vineyard that um, for, fortuitously is just up the road uh, from Magnolia. A friend nice, yeah. of mine, you know, he's, he's I guess he's owned it for six generations. He's the sixth gen to be on that land. It's been prunes. It's been uh pears it's been walnuts i think and now you know in the last 40 or so years it's been grapes but um you know it's uh usually mostly been farmed by an outside vineyard management company um who is you know just more interested in, in getting it done and not spending a lot of time doing it but you know eric has to live on this land and um and so he was really interested in in, in invested in going uh to regenerative and he's got the know-how he works for uh, an organic company so uh, he and I got together and, um, you know, he was getting below county average on his grapes and, and, and they, he was having a hard time selling them even, you know, every year. So yeah. year one, we converted his, uh, his, uh, Sauv Blanc block, which is three acres to organics and, um, you know, doing a couple things like, uh, limiting tillage to every other row, spray, uh, spreading, um, you know, the one of the cool things really is spreading clover by hand under the under the vine. So that's the bare area that's been sprayed uh, right. year after year with herbicides. Is you know, you, it's kind of a blank canvas, and you're trying to get something to grow under there that maybe won't won't interfere with the vines as much. So a, a low growing uh, clover, uh, which also also happens to fix nitrogen, is a really good uh, fit for that. So Eric yeah. went through and has been um, you know working on his cover crops, um, limiting irrigation. And, uh, I just spoke to him, you know, in preparation for this interview and he, he said he's, uh, talking about getting uh, sheep in the vineyard. So that's, that's really exciting to me. Fantastic. Yeah. And, I, and I, if I, if I remember correctly, you did guarantee to take all the grapes right. uh, okay, at, right. at like a higher asked. price, right? Yeah. So I, yeah. I said that, you know, so uh, he was getting about 1500 bucks a ton and, um, there was just, yeah, you know, they would go to one company this year and then it would fall off the next year and not get picked. And, you know, so I said, I'm going to, I'll take the whole block and I'll take it for the next three years. And, um, you know, hopefully many years from there, but you know, and what, right. what I'd like to do is <laughs> is start raising the price of the bottle so I can raise the price that I pay him. 
for the right. for the grapes. So you know, not like I don't want to be crazy expensive, but I want him to be, I want him to be fairly compensated for his risk and for his work. Right, and and I, I guess I just what I want to what I like about this, or what I want to draw attention to, I guess better way to put it is when you talk about regenerative. Uh, I mean, you're not just talking about what, that you are supporting regenerative farming. Like you're not just talking about like you, you know you want to go work with the Buckland Old Hill ranches of the world. You you are actively seeking out places that you want to convert and you're giving them incentives to do that and thereby actually regenerating a piece of land through your winery. Right. Right. If through that's yeah. If we're not, you know, if we're not realistic about the risk that that the farmers take on, um, then we're not going to be able to convert as much. So, you know, hopefully as, as Fresco grows, I can work with more farmers and convert more acreage into regenerative is, is, is my goal. And, you know, I work pretty much exclusively within Sonoma Valley, which is, you know, one watershed uh, where, you know, my folks live, where I work. And um, so it's, you know, it's personal to me too, you know, so, yeah. I, but, but it's not like pie in the sky. Like there's a real economic model through which uh, Fresco can provide the funds for farmers to transfer their practices. Well, it's funny you say that and, you had talked about how you were radicalized and um, I just wonder to what extent in, in that area that you're farming and making wine, do you seem like an outlier? I mean, is there, I, I know there's a lot of entrenched, you know, conventional thinking, conventional, you know, conventional in the sense of agricultural practices and winemaking thinking. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you get pushback? Do you, I mean, is there, is there a vibe there that's uh, changing? <laughs> like, is there a diff, a new generation that's changing or is it, is it, I mean, because of the risk and because of the sort of business models that have been at play, you know, is there like basically a, a machine that's really, you know, the dominant industry model? It's a good question, Adam. I, I think that there's more openness now to these kind of paradigm shifts than there have been in the past. Um, but yeah, it's going to be an uphill battle. I don't know if there's going to be huge pushback unless I start, you know, a smear campaign, um, <laughs> which is not my goal. You know, I, I'm hoping to have an open an open arms approach um, yeah. so that you can get more dialogue. Because I guess what I would say is that it doesn't seem like there's a whole bunch of people in the organic regenerative paradigm who talk with people in the conventional paradigm. Um, mm. and so, you know, maybe I can be that bridge or one yeah. of the bridges. Yeah. I, I, I love that. And I think that's a good transition into, to talking about Magnolia too. Um, if, right. you know, if you think so, yeah, definitely. um, because I mean, let, let's talk about what, what's kind of special and, and unique about Magnolia and what's going on there. Who's who, who your clients are. I mean, yeah. we know one big one, but what's going on there? So Magnolia Wine Services is a, a grower, producer, natural wine leaning, uh, custom crush facility. So we make wine across the spectrum um, from natural to conventional. And, and most things kind of fall more in between. Um, mm-hmm. And the main emphasis I really am trying to make is on organic fruit sourcing. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't really care that much if you filter or you add sulfur at this point or that point or, or whatever other additives you may want to put in there. It's, that doesn't bother me that much. But if you're if you're sourcing from grapes that aren't uh, farmed with care for the land that they're grown on, um, then that's, you know, it's problematic to me. 
at the same time, we're not, you know, 100% strictly uh, enforcing that. So, you know, there are a lot of legacy clients who came with the property, uh, came with the winery and, and such who, who maybe aren't 100% on board with that yet. But my hope, you know, again, is to have that open arms approach so that we're working with um, people who, you know, they see that I'm genuine and, and I see that they're genuine and that, you know, maybe they can have the dialogue with their grower. So rather than switching away and leaving this vineyard to be farmed the same way, it's like maybe you can convert that block and block by block, uh, we can do that. It's a slow process, but but that's the idea. Um, yeah. Uh, and when we talked uh, beforehand, you know, I think, you know, I tried, I was trying to ask you that question, uh, you know, which I, I could ask again about like, you, you know, to, it is the hard question of like, well, how's that different than anybody else? Are you just open to, you know, anybody that comes with cash and wants to make wine there? Well, it depends and... how much cash, Adam. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. No, I, I think it's a really good point. You know, we're, we're, you know, there's a lot of things that, that I could talk about of examples of people who are making great wine from organic fruit, but, and I would probably estimate as an aside, that's probably 90 to 95% of the fruit in here, which, you know, maybe does distinguish us from, from, uh, most other people, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, not being, not having those hard, hard limits is, is definitely something that keeps me up at night a little bit. But I, like I said, I want to be an open arms, uh, approach. I think you get a lot further with that. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're someone who's, you know, if we have a client who's been sourcing the same fruit from the same block for the last six years and it happens to be strip sprayed, you know, if I tell that client, okay, no, you can't bring that wine, those grapes in here anymore. Um, those grapes are still going to be strip sprayed, you know, and they're just going to go to someone else. But if right. I say this client, tell this client, you know, why don't you have, can you have a conversation with your grower and see if there's any opportunity to, uh, change the farming paradigm, you know, um, that is, and then, and it happens and that is a much better outcome for everyone. Yeah. And that only happens in a, in a trust in a relationship of trust that you can build i mean this i'm i'm echoing sort of the answer that you gave me at the time that i first asked you this question which is like only by keeping that open arms policy to anybody or not you know anybody but you know being selective about people but you know to to be open allows a relationship of trust to build and allows them to be exposed to everyone else who works there and the kind of winemaking they're doing seeing you know the the examples that they're they're providing of different ways of thinking and doing things with wine and builds that trust so that when you have those conversations it's not just like uh you know it's not out of the blue it's out of uh, right you know, it should not be a one way street yeah I, I mean i think that's an important thing in uh, in a lot of in every aspect of life that we don't reduce ourselves to clicks that can't communicate with each other, you know, and just can only disagree and be polarized. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that was a good answer. I just wanted to draw that out. And as you were talking yeah. about Thank you. the farming uh, and what you do with Fresco and then that, how that translates here as well. Well, what else is going on there? I mean, who, I mean, let's talk about some of, you know, what, 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 what is the vibe and who are the people that, you can talk about that are making wine. Sure. What are they doing? Yeah. You know, I guess the other thing that you know, does make Magnolia really different is the sort of um, community we built here. So trying to encourage people of different socioeconomic backgrounds and uh, you know, different races and genders to come out here and make wine um, 
it's been a big part of it. And it's really uh, been fun to empower younger people uh, and people who look different than me to make wine here. Um, we're, we've got a couple great brands that are all in it. But the, really the nice thing I would say about Magnolia is that like people are happy to say, yes, I make my wine at a custom crush facility and it's Magnolia. You know, a lot yeah. of a lot of wine that's made at Custer Crush facilities, you never hear about the production. And, you know, it can be great wine, but it's uh, the vibe, you know, being able to make it obvious that we're different just by being here and, you know, make people want to be part of the story uh, is great. So probably my closest um, friend that I make wine with here is, is Marioni, Dan Marioni. He came uh, from Sonoma Mountain Winery, which is based out in the Katuri Winery. Um with Tony. Um, and then obviously there's my uncle, Will Bucklin. Um, a couple other great brands, Dos Piedras, um, Sonoma Valley or Napa Valley Zen and some Foothills. Syrah, um, drawing uh, a blank, Darling Wines, Darling Family Wines. That's a great <laughs> mom and pop shop. Makes wine here. Um, Ardour uh, with Jason Rupert is a good buddy. Um, there's plenty more. Um, and I can list them off, but I don't know it's, if that's the best yeah, of our times. So there's, there's a <laughs> right, right. Well, um, can you sort of explain what a custom crush facility is and what what that yeah. means as a winery? So, um, custom crush is kind of what it sounds like. We uh, we at Magnolia own the tanks, we own the crushing equipment, and we have the lease to a facility with you know water treatment um, and barrel storage, you know, like temperature control, uh, capabilities, um, forklifts, forklifts and some personnel who know what they're doing. <laughs> and then say that you're, uh, someone who wanted to start a wine brand and you're looking around and holy crap, it's so expensive to buy land in California to buy, to build a winery. It's mm-hmm. expensive to buy tanks and forklifts. It's expensive to put in drainage. It's expensive to do all these things, not to, men- not to mention the labor costs. So, and you know, you only want to make a couple hundred cases uh, or that's where you want to start. So you would most likely find a custom crush facility, someone who will basically, who owns the tanks and owns the, uh, and, and owns the equipment needed to make wine. Um, and you would contract with them to make the wine as you want them to do it. Um, and then to age it and, and more, more than likely uh, help you bottle it. And, and then get it, ship it out to a warehouse somewhere uh, so you could start selling it. So there's a lot of ways that these companies can run. Um, the, you know, there, there's people who can sort of, you just, you just do it all by email uh, and you're not really actually there and you're just telling them what ads to make and what, uh, what protocol to, to follow. And then there's more hands-on ones. I would say Magnolia is pretty darn hands-on where if you, if you wanted to do your own, punch downs every day you'd, you'd be welcome to uh, assuming that you had all the right insurance and such um, <laughs> right. and if you want to do your own topping you know you're welcome to do that you know I, I, I try to kind of draw the line at forklift driving for um, <laughs> for random people we just you're trying to run a safe shop here it doesn't really not not really uh, can't do both <laughs> but uh, yeah so in general you know I've got a tank and a bin and cooling and um, a press and, and all the things and you, you would just pay like a rate per ton to crush here and um and then we would uh help you make your wine and you know i'm here to give you some advice and consult and uh, make sure that it what you want to do is safe and and uh but generally you know generally you get to do what you want and um 
the nice thing actually about this model is that uh, some of our employees have been able to start their own wine labels. So we can, you know, give people a better price uh, because they work here and they can um, crush their own grapes and make yeah. their own wine. So we had a, 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 my employee, Coral, uh, did this last year and she was, you know, and she's stoked. She's about to bottle the wine and start selling it and have her own wine brand. And, and I, uh, I don't know that she would have been that engaged if she hadn't been making her own wine, but she's a great addition to the team. So it's been, That's awesome. it's been fun to sort of help, you know, help people get, get their start as I was able to get my start here in the same way. Yeah. I love that. Um, now it, it do, and you, you allow people to do their own kind of winemaking. I mean, it's the whole range. Like you said, there's, there's, you know, there's a few clients who do almost everything themselves. There's a very few clients who we do everything for them. Most people kind of fall in between, you know, it's like uh-huh. you're making wine, you know, but you probably also have a real job or a side, you know, a day job um, for most people. And so, sure. you know, is it really feasible to be there for every punch down? If that needs to happen once in the morning, once in the afternoon, you know, it, I don't think that that really is that feasible and uh, for most people. And so they would just, um, you know, maybe they do the PM punch down and we do the AM punch down for them. Or, you right. know, they can't get get there that day. So we do the PM for them also. Or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's it's, it's a little bit more in between uh, for most clients. You know, not everyone needs to do their own topping. They just like to check in on their wine once in a month, once in, every couple months. But they don't need to top it every month because they, they can trust that we're going to get it done, you know. Um, so, yeah, the crush time is sort of the, the, the busy time when you're trying to get, get in between, you know, make sure everyone has enough of what they need and not too much of, so they're not, you know, people can share resources, I guess is the key thing. Make sure yeah. everyone knows how to clean things properly, put things away properly. That's a big, you know, that's a big deal. Getting people to not lose things. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I have a, a little experience with this because that's kind of how we have to make our wine because we live in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and... You know, the vineyards are not, in, I mean, actually, we do have nail vineyards in our yard, but, uh, but, be, but uh, you know, not to the extent that we can make as much wine as we want to yet because yeah. we have a very small yard. But so we're buying grapes out and we, you know, to set up a winery in LA is incredibly difficult and expensive. So we're, we're doing the same thing where we, we have uh, an alternating proprietorship relationship with our winery. And, um, I, you know, this is our third third winery essentially that we've been to and so I, I guess one of the things I was gonna ask was just some of the things from the inside that we could talk about as pe- people should think about when they're if they were gonna do this like if you know what what should they look for what kind of questions should they ask to you know an owner of a of a custom crush facility or, or you know a, a winery owner who's willing to do an alternating proprietorship relationship um you know yeah. to to make sure that they're getting what they really want and have the right expectations going into this if they want to make a little wine because yeah i mean there's a, there's there are there i will say I'll, you know just from my experience there's a wide range of quality oh, yeah. in in both the facilities the equipment that's used the the care of the owners and the expertise of the owners you know uh, so those are all kind of things but from your perspective what you know what do you think people should be asking you when they're coming to, to potentially, you know, sign a contract to make some wine? With yeah, you? that's a great, uh, great question. Um, you know, one thing I would think about is what's your lot size going to be? I think that's one of the more underrated uh, things about making quality wine is, you know, are you going to put 
a one ton of grapes into a four ton tank because they don't have any one ton bins, you know? Uh, how, how are they going to accommodate you? Because probably if you're starting out, you probably have smaller lot sizes. So can this winery accommodate that? Here at Magnolia, we start charging, basically our one our minimum is one ton. So that kind of, you know, fortunately is the, si- the amount that uh, uh, fer- most ferment bins hold. So, um, yeah. you know, and I think that's kind of the minimum that you can make. Uh, it, it becomes harder to make good wine at smaller volumes than that, my yeah. uh, experience. So volume yeah. size, that would be something I'd, I'd pay attention to. Does their equipment match the size of tank that, uh, the size of bin that I'm going to bring in? Um, and if not, like, can I buy some, you know, cheaper tanks to, to accommodate that? Uh, you know, like figure out what, what you're going to have to buy to work with them. And then, you know, is that going to fit in there? Are they going to be able to store it for me in the off season or not? You know, is, is another thing. So, um, yeah, lot size is, is important. Um, cleanliness walk in there does it smell like you know vinegar does it smell like a really bad winery uh, like you know bad, <laughs> like spoiled wine uh, are there flies everywhere you know there's, I'm not going to say there's no fruit flies here at Magnolia but right now you'd have a hard time finding one um, yeah so that's you know that's I think an important thing is, is sanitation level especially if you're making natural wine I think it's really key to be sanita- sanitary and yeah um, and then you know you're going to have to like there's going to have to be a lot of trust involved in this. You know, wine is this sort of very, um, it's, it's close to people's home, you know, hearts. Uh, every, every barrel of wine that's made in here, someone, someone really loves, I would say yeah. most of them at least. Um, so does, is the person who's going to be in charge of taking care, care of your wine? Do they care? You know, is I, and that's a little bit harder to suss out, but I would say it's, it's really important. I would say I care about all the barrels of wine that we make. And, you know, maybe we've made twice as many barrels, I would be at my limit, but we don't have space for that. So I think it's a good, you know, it's a good uh, size here right now where I can have my hands into each, you know, I have, I have an idea of what's going on with each lot of wine that we made this year, which is you know almost a hundred. And, um, wow. And I can, you know, and I have a connection with them. And so I, you know, and I know all the people who are in here and I, and I'm, you know, I'm close with them and, and I'm, I'm friendly with them. And so that, you know, that means that like, if they email me and they say, can you top my wine this week? Like, I'm going to do it because I care. And, you know, if I can't do it, I'm not going to say, yes, I can do that. I'll say, we got to push it back to next week because we're bottling or something like that. But there's, you know, what that, what that sort of also means is that there's, there's a dialogue yeah. that I'm willing to have with my clients. And and so I would say that anyone who's going to go in there, you know, you're going to be, you're probably going to be small fry to start off. So can you, is there going to be buy-in from them, uh, from the people making a wine or not? Right. Yeah, I, I, my experience is, is people like you in your position, uh, especially certain times of year, are incredibly busy. And and, and like you said, if, if you're coming in, you're usually not coming in to make, you know, to crush 10 tons right off the bat. Um, mm-hmm. So you're not, and, and even 10 might be small depending on the facility. <laughs> so, you know, you have to think about like, am I, what is the communication like, I think is another one that I've found to be really important. Like yeah. how quickly do I get a response? And, and, and I think you have to be realistic. Like I said, you, you and your position are incredibly busy because you're managing, you just said like a hundred lots of wine. Um, and that, you know, that's over you know a couple dozen different wineries, you know, there's, it's a lot to manage, you know, for one person and somebody's got to, somebody does have to do that and somebody does have to be the point of contact. And so having realistic expectations about what kind of communication you're going to get, but then also 
getting communication <laughs> in yeah. general is really important. You know, I mean, it might be, you know, like maybe it's 24 hours that you wait, but, you know, do you have to wait a week to hear back about something? Because that would be difficult. You know, yeah. that would be really hard to make wine that way because sometimes decisions are very time sensitive. Um, so it's, yeah. So I think that's another one. And I may have said, you know, something that I've, yeah run into problems with uh you know not nowhere where i'm now where i am now but um yeah i mean that's kind of a, a big red flag um yeah what else i'm trying to think uh oh you know another good thing probably would be to try some of the wine that they make yes um, that you that's know a, yes there's so many decisions that go into one bottle of wine that you know i, I wouldn't say le- let one tasting experience sort of inform the whole um whole production method but do you know do try the wine and see what their ethos is and yeah 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 and i think that that's true too in terms of if the contract stipulates like this is the way that we make wine and if you don't want to make wine this way you know you'll have to sign a waiver kind of thing yeah um that's not a good sign (laughs) uh just from my experience You, you know you should be free to to make the decisions about your wine that you want to make. Um, That's for sure. Yeah. You know, and not be, not feel like you're constantly fighting against what somebody wants to, somebody wants to just have like a one size fits all approach to all the wine that they make at their facility, I think is just something to watch out for. There's a lot, a lot of ways that you might notice that. Um, But yeah, that's, that's never a good sign because like you said, it is one of those things where it's like you, you do need to, know that when you've asked for some you know an action to be taken with your wine that it will actually take place you know in that in a reasonable amount of time like within the you know with and that that time would be communicated to you yeah we can take care of that tomorrow or yeah we can't tomorrow we're bottling but you know we'll get to that right after that and then you need to feel confident that that will actually happen um yeah, because that's that's uh, or and not that you're. I think having an adversarial relationship with the kind of wine that you want to make, like if you want to make natural wine and you're at a conventional, you know, a, a place that clearly makes wine from a recipe, uh, you know, and you're trying to do something different from that, it's it's kind of scary because you just are always going to be wondering, like, did they sulfate my wine, <laughs> like yeah. just because they forgot, or or just because they don't care and they don't want to deal with, you know, doing something different for me. Um, yeah. So all all important things to think about. Um, yeah. Anything else? Well, any. Well, I would say with with Magnolia, one of our big selling points. You know, we don't have an optical sorter. We don't have the nicest crush equipment of all time. But, you know, we might have the nicest people of all time making wine here. And mm. that, you know, the community here is something uh, that I, you know, I get kind of weepy and, and emotional about at times. It's it's a really, really excellent cast of characters. Everyone's different. Everyone's kind of, you know, a little bit misfit in the best way. And um, <laughs> and together, you know, Magnolia is something really special, really close to my heart. And uh, And so having that kind of relationship with the people you work with is would be the the thing that I would say above all else is uh is what makes it you know it's you're making one you're not you know it's gonna it's supposed to be fun so you know hopefully you're with people who make it fun how did that happen I mean was that just you uh you know making decisions based on good values that translated into finding those people that to work with you 
It's a great question. How did that happen? I think, you know, that we, we started with a good core crew between my uncle and myself and Dan. And then, you know, I think there was, um, there was a need for this uh, sort of grower, producer, natural leaning, uh, custom crush facility in Sonoma Valley. There, there, it turns out there's a lot of people who kind of value that service. And, um, and then, you know, just yeah. having been in the industry, in the area for the last uh, eight to 10 years has really, really helped. So that's, I would say just that, mostly that. It's just um, being in a place, being in a position to bring people in who need it, you know, who need this kind of service and then being able to choose the people who are uh, friendly and, and, and love what they do and, and are happy to be here. You know, I think that's that's a big thing. People who are, you know, come to me and they want to make wine here and they're stoked to be here. Those are the people who move to the front of the line. Yeah, that's great. Um, and you're looking for people still, right? Well, we are always are looking full? for people, but um, <laughs> you know, it's it's always tough because most people who make natural wine from this area sort of pick within a certain window, and then um, <laughs> then we have sort of the older guard who kind of pick in a slightly later window. And right. then it's like, if you can bring in grapes outside that window, I'm like, you know, I'm, it's a lot easier for me to say yes. And, um, right. and I, you know, I also have to send everything upstairs. So it's not, it's not just my decision as well. Right. It, it just has to make right. sense. So we're, you know, I, I'm always really ha- stoked if people reach out and uh, we can have, definitely have a conversation and we're always so looking maybe- for people. It's just, you know, I can't always say yes to everyone. Can, can you handle, uh, apples? Yeah, we did. We did some. Uh, we actually did a, a couple apples. Uh, we did a cider this year, and we uh-huh. did an apple and wine co-ferment. Um, okay. But it turned. You know, we we used our press for apples, and we had to use a bunch of rice holes. Um, so mm. I would probably recommend. Um, you know, we're not really. We don't really. We're not quite set, set up for it yet, and it, it would definitely be. You know, something I'd love to do in the future because that definitely comes in. Um, comes in sort of more uh, er, either early or late or, you know, kind of whenever you want because the apples store really well. Um, right. That's what, that's what I was thinking for you. <laughs> like if you could handle apples, you're like, so, like what we're looking for is a, a, a larger client who does apples and can pick. And also has their own, uh, you know, <laughs> great or apple crusher. <laughs> right. So if you know anyone, right. um, <laughs> No, we're, uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're open to a lot of things, a lot of sort of different, um, different ways of making wine and, and all that. I just has to, you know, I can't, I don't want to say yes. And then, you know, that means that some other client can't, doesn't have tank space. Right. Yeah. It, it It's, it's going to be a case by case basis and it. And there's an evaluation that would have to take place to make exactly sure right. it, it was a good fit Yeah. with everybody else that's already there. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, is fresco wine out in the world how do people can people order direct what's the, yeah what's you the are definitely to... welcome to order direct um my website is www.fresh.wine um and i have most of my wine up there on the website what i have left um a lot of it also goes through distribution so it should be pretty easy to find if you're in the bay area or uh la and shopping at a natural wine store um, I would say, uh, you know, my distributor does a pretty good job of blanketing, um, the region with, with the wine, but, um, uh, you know, if you want to support me, the best way to do that is to order off the website. And does Magnolia have its own website as well? 
you know, we're uh-huh. bootstrapping the whole thing, so we don't have our own website at the moment. Um, is is but, there, like, if somebody was desperate to see if they could work with you, would you? Yeah, no, the say, best way to, is just to email. I'm just bleeping out this section because Jack gave his personal email and later asked that we use this one. Freshwineco at gmail.com. So if you want to get in touch with Jack, email him at freshwineco, C-O, at gmail.com. And um, and I'll, I'll sort you out, you know. Um, we'll definitely have a conversation. It's uh, It happens semi-regularly that people reach out looking for crush, crush space. So um, I've had that conversation before. I'm happy to have it again. <laughs> and do you have like a, a price sheet and service sheet that you yeah, exactly people right. to it's, review? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's fairly, uh, you know... We're trying to make it not the most expensive place in the world, but also uh, enough that we can afford to pay a living wage to everyone who works here. So that's a fine balance. Um, yeah. And so it's, you know, prices may, prices aren't going to be what they used to be, I will say. Right. Yep. Well, very cool. Did we miss anything? Is there anything else you want to say about Magnolia um, or Fresco? You know, with, with Fresco, I would just say that I make wine that my hope is that for most of my wine it's natural wine that you could probably bring to your parents and they would enjoy so it doesn't have those super wacky out there flavors more uh more restrained winemaking sort of classic techniques um yeah so hopefully you know again to talk about being a bridge to be a bridge to people who think that natural wine is all uh high va and icky um (laughs) Uh, because you know you can make wine without additives or with very few additives that taste great for years um, if you're careful to, about it. And so, just you know, opening people's minds to the way that uh, wine can be made. Yeah, I, I'd say that about Centralis, my brand as well. It's like natural wine for people who don't like natural wine. Yeah, um, kind of thing. Um, that's cool. I love that. It's very cool. Well, uh, thank you so much. It was great talking and learning more about it. It was I, a pleasure, hope- Adam. Okay, I hope people get to try your stuff. I hope I get to try your stuff. I'm going to look for it now. Um, thanks. Yeah, well, uh, thank you. Thank you.